Well, today we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about money, the ugly, the bad, and of course the good. And, and you say, well, isn't that backwards there? Isn't the good, the bad, and the ugly? That does sound better, but I always like to end with good news. And God has given us some phenomenally good news. So that's, that's how we're going to go about it. And um, let's talk about money. Uh, money is an interesting thing. Um, there's the ugly about it. We all know this. Uh, financial issues are the leading cause of divorce, and it have been for decades. Uh, there are several times a year that uh, folks come into my office, and they sit down, and they are, they are just at their wit's end. There is turmoil in the home, and as we work through all of the, the, the issues, and we get down to what's causing this, so often, it's financial problems. Insecurity, financial insecurity, creates so many troubles, or materialism, or different expectations. But money can be there. And I think a lot of us, I don't know if there has ever been a marriage that hasn't been affected somehow with some type of financial difficulty <laughs> causing some friction. Uh, it's something that, that we deal with. And a lot of times, folks in marriages... They just don't want to deal with it because it's always bad news. It causes conflict. And so we don't want to talk about it. And then it becomes worse and worse and worse. And it causes all kinds of problems. And so for many of us, finances have become a dirty word in our home or something that we don't like. Or when we think about it, we have to go and do it. It becomes like this thing. Oh, we have to budget. And, and it causes anxiety. And it's, it's not fun. See, money, when used incorrectly or when we have a wrong relation to it, it, it can mess up our home life. But it's us, that's not the only ugly thing. We see financial insecurity is one of the top causes of anxiety. Talk to a lot of counselors. And you go and they say people that suffer with depression, uh, people that struggle with, with real anxiety things, they can't sleep at night. Why can't you sleep at night? Well, oftentimes it's because you're sitting there wondering, how am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to stay in this house? How can I meet my financial obligations? How am I going to retire on time? Right? These are things that, that, that cause anxiety. And again, money becomes something that can be very ugly. A thing in our, in our own lives that take years away from us because we're so anxious about it. It becomes a thing where sometimes we cling to employment and jobs and things like this that are abusive or bad because we're worried. What are we going to do? How am I going to eat? <laughs> what am I going to do? And money causes anxiety. It can. Money also uh, can be corrosive. Can we all see that? What happens when money and politics mix? Right? It, it, it corrupts. And we see that in our lives, don't we? We have this distrust where we see, well, there are the super wealthy that can then impose their will upon things because there's some power there. And when money and wealth are used as power tokens, it corrupts. And, and there's a lot of people that suffer from that. In fact, Jesus comes pretty hard after those that did that such things. He says that those are greedy. There are bad things that happen because of them, and there's judgment waiting. Jesus talks about ripping people off and not paying them what they're due. Why? Because they're using money as power, as a weapon. And it causes a lot of damage in the world, doesn't it? Uh, this financial uh, this, uh, inequity that we see in, in our world causes a lot of problems. 
And we have more than enough food, more than enough water, more than enough for everyone to have something. And yet we find that a majority of the world's population live on less than $2 a day. And we see that, and as Christians, it should break our hearts because these are God's people made in His image. And we look at this and we say, what has gone wrong? Money has been used as a tool of power throughout all the ages. But we see that it can be corrosive. And corrupting. And we know that none of us are really beyond that, are we? It can corrode both ways. Having too much money can be corruptive, but so can having too little. Look at all the crimes and people, they, they justify committing crimes and robbing others and cheating others. Why? Because they don't feel like they have their fair share. See, money can be a corrosive, and, and can you imagine a world in which that wasn't an issue? That's heaven by the way. But in this world, we see that finances and money can be a very damaging thing to people and society and institutions. And because of that, oftentimes, as believers, as Christians, we view money with some great suspicion. We look at it and we're like, hmm, I don't think I like that very much. So we don't talk about it very much in the church. It's uncomfortable. We see that money can be bad, but that's not the only thing. There there is some bad that we have here. Uh, We find that Jesus talks about money, and he says that there are some bad things that we have to worry about, we have to be concerned about. He says the the love of money, he says, is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, of course, this is misquoted all the time by people. They say money is the root of all all evil. That's not what Jesus said. There's brokenness in us. Uh, There's selfishness. There's a lot of roots to evil. But the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. In fact, let me just, I'll just throw up the verse there so you say. It's in uh, 1 Timothy 6.10 is where we find this one. It says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, that's not a warning for us. It's not that money is bad, but the love of it. When we put money at the center of our lives... And that becomes the thing that we rotate around like it's the sun in our solar system. It's a root of all kinds of evil. So much so that some people wander from the faith. There was a story that was recorded for us in the Gospels. There was this rich young ruler, wealthy but good. And he shows up to Jesus one day. He rises up to Jesus because he's got a cool ride because he's rich. And he gets off his donkey and he goes over and he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus says, well, you've got to keep all the commandments. Now, of course, Jesus and these passages that we read from, the, the Sermon on the Mount shows us that really the commandments, I mean, are, are a lot more than just don't murder somebody, but to have the heart of Christ for all people. That's, that's a big thing. All people fall short. But this guy said, well, you know, the black and white letter of the law he says, I've kept all these things. I'm sure Jesus was like, hmm, really? But, but I think this man really did make an earnest effort in his life. He was a righteous man. He didn't murder people. He didn't take God's name in vain. He worshipped God only. He honored him. I mean, he did all these things. And he could say to Jesus, I have kept this. And Jesus said, yeah, okay, that's fantastic. But one thing you lack And he goes to the heart of the issue of this man. What was the center of his universe? 
Because we can only have one center. And he says, you've got to get rid of that if you really want to have God at the center. And so he says, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, Jesus doesn't say that for every person. He said it to this man. And what happens? The man wanders from the faith and was pierced with many griefs, wasn't he? But that's not a story that just happened once. It happens all the time. When, when we allow money and finances and the security and the power that it provides to be the center of our lives, how many believers sometimes say, well, God, I'm going to put you at second place, and I'm, but I have got to take care of this first, right? And, and once, once money is taken care of, once my finances are taken care of, then I'll have time for you. But we'll find out pretty quickly that never really works, does it? And there's a reason for that. It says that uh, money's never going to satisfy. You can keep giving and giving and giving to your finances, and you're never going to feel like you have enough. In fact, there's a scripture that says this. It says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with their income. In fact, I think I even put that on there. There you go. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Book written by the wisest human other than Jesus that ever lived. Isn't that true? Whoever loves money is never going to have enough. The love of money is the root of all kind of evil. And if you love money, guess what? You're never going to be satisfied. Never. And guess what you're going to have? Anxiety, problems in your life, problems in your home. You're going to be living a life that's corrupt. And guess what? It's going to affect your faith. But I think it's important for us to look at our own lives and say, listen, if I really put my financial security, if I put my finances at the core of my life, this is what I rotate around, this is what I live for, and this is what everything in my life rotates around, I will never be satisfied. Never. There was a, a I think it was Fiddler on the Roof, right? That, uh, they said, how much is enough? I said, just a little bit more. And they had a really cool song with that. Just a little bit more. And we find that, don't we? How many billionaires are out there that every year, what is their main concern? Am I making a little bit more this year than I had last year? They have billions. They could live for generations and be fine. They could end world hunger themselves. But what do they want? Just a little bit more. But we can't just look at them and point a finger. We can look at ourselves, can't we? You get a raise, what happens? It disappears. Right? Why? Because I want a little bit more. That nest egg could always just be a little bit bigger. I could always have just a little more security, just a little more power, just a little more freedom, and then I'll be happy. And then we get that, and what happens? I want just a little bit more. And the thing is, when we do that, we will always feed that beast. And then do we have time for God in our lives, for the things that can satisfy? No. And so there's a warning in this. And that warning really comes back to this truth that Jesus gave us. He says this, you can't serve two masters. You cannot do it. There are not two sons in our solar system. I think that's for a reason. Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Does Jesus come? He doesn't completely punches, right? He goes right to the heart of the issue. He's not like, you can't serve both God and ego. No. What is it in our life that competes for God's throne more than anything else? Money. And he goes right to the heart of the issue. Notice the, the address. Matthew 6. 
What is Jesus talking about? His kingdom works different than this world. Aren't you happy for that? Are we ready to get off this treadmill that will never satisfy us, this rat race that kills marriages and families and peoples and sends us to our graves early and tired and unsatisfied? Yes, because money's a bad taskmaster. It doesn't mean money's bad, but the love of it's a dangerous thing. When we say in our solar system, when I revolve around something, if it's about what keeps me up at night is where I am financially, then I've got the wrong center. If I want to be kept up at night, let it be for the things that's on God's heart. Shouldn't I be more concerned about my neighbor who right now is falling apart and whose soul is in danger of hell? Why would that not keep me up? But my electric bill will. There is a different center that God calls us to, one that has true meaning. And he warns us of this. If you put money at the center of your life, you're going to end up despising God and his things. Because guess what? God's going to require a lot from you. He's going to require a surrender. And that includes your money. And if your money is your God, then you're going to have a hard time with that, aren't you? And God doesn't just ask for our money. He asks for us. I'm reading through these books right now. They're really phenomenal and going through a coaching network. One of the things that I came across recently was a teaching in one of these books. That said, he said, pastors should never use the word volunteer in church. You've got to stop using that word. And I said, What? I said, I can't do all this by myself. This is crazy. And then I kept reading. I almost threw the book away. But no, I kept reading. I was like, this is crazy stuff. But then he made an incredible point. He said this, there are no such things as Christian volunteers. Christians were bought with a price. We are owned. We are doubly owned. We were created by God and we were saved by God. We are under the employ of the almighty God. He is our boss. Christians don't volunteer. We minister. And the, and the job of a church is to help one another minister, work for this God. Because he's going to require an accounting for each one of us. I think this is powerful. That's the truth because God can be our master and he's a good one. Or money can be our master and it's one that puts us on a treadmill and kills us. But don't deceive yourselves. I think a lot of Christians, the reason that they pierce themselves with many griefs is because they think, oh, I can have two masters. I really think that I can. I think that I can have the center of my life be, be my money and God. And God, Jesus warns us right from the very beginning, this will never work. You're going to have to choose. Now, you can choose one way, which you know is never going to satisfy, or there's another way. And that leads us to some good news. Aren't you ready for some good news? That's good. God frees us from financial insecurity. I think that's one of the most powerful thoughts that I mean if you if we can get this God loves us he calls us his children it's not just something he just throws about willy-nilly does he call the angels his children and yet they worship before him (laughs) right in heaven I mean, this is not something that God would just toss out. He says he loves you. Do you think that it was a small thing for the creator of the universe to come down and put on flesh and walk amongst people born in a barn and live 30 years with people who didn't know who he was and doubted his abilities and 
killed him like a criminal, though he had done nothing wrong. And he knew that was going to happen. And he did it willingly, gladly, to save you. That was no small thing. I mean, it shows that Jesus really has a love for us, that God has a care for us. And if God was willing to go to all those extremes to save our spirits, how much easier is it for this same God to take care of his children here? Jesus said, look, look at nature itself. Do you see the, the characteristics of this God? Look at the birds. Do they stay up all night and with anxious saying, am I going to get that worm? No, they don't. God cares for us. And it is a big thing to take our, it doesn't mean that we just say, oh, I'm just going to do whatever. Right? Living in God, there's a responsibility to this portion that we take account, we, we're responsible with the opportunities he gives us. But the anxiety, our God is caring for us. He will meet our needs. He's promised to do it. There is powerful scripture. Here's one. Uh, I thought this is interesting. This is, comes to us from 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. A little too long, I think, to get on the screen. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in their wealth. No, it's not to put their hope in their wealth. Which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And this is not a, a suggestion. And you know what? In scripture's terms, you're rich. If you have enough money for today to eat and clothes and you don't have to worry about what you're going to do tomorrow, you're rich. And it says, command those not to put your hope in that because that's uncertain. And I think we all can agree that it's uncertain. But the command is this. Command them to do good, to be rich not just in wealth but in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share and in this way, you will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age and that you may take hold of life that is truly life. We can start living for what really matters. And how can we do that? The very first thing is he says, tell them don't put their trust in your wealth. It's uncertain. Where's our trust? In God. He provides everything and doesn't just say for our sustenance. I mean, sometimes we get afraid, right, as people. We say, if I give everything to God, he's going to make me live on dirt and, and, and you know, you know, eggs and milk or something. That's all I get. And I'll have to sleep on the ground because God's just going to give me just barely what I need to just scrape by. And this is what it says. But put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for what our enjoyment. Do you believe that God who created you knows the deepest desires of your heart? And if he designed those desires into you, don't you think it's his good will to meet those? Our God is not stingy. He is lavish and wonderful. And he frees us from this, this anxiety, this life that, that keeps us running on this treadmill thinking we'll be satisfied. He says, no, I want to satisfy you. But you have to put him at the core, right? Put your hope in God. And then be rich in something that really matters. Not just in a bank account, no, but with good deeds. Care for one another. Serve for one another. Be generous. Live a life that satisfies, a life that matters. He's calling us to something bigger. See, God can free us from financial insecurity, and he does it in a whole different way. It's not like you start tithing, and all of a sudden you have a billion dollars in your, in your bank account. You have something much better than that. When we give ourselves to God, 
we recognize that he, the God who has more than a billion dollars in his bank account, will lavishly take care of us. He will meet all of our needs and he will provide for us, even for our enjoyment. Isn't that amazing? What freedom. And that that would be enough, right? Wouldn't that be enough? But there's more. It says this, uh, that God can teach us contentment. Isn't it miserable living in this commercial culture where you think you're happy and then you turn on the TV and realize that you were never really happy? Like You think that, oh, my TV's fine. And then you turn on the television set and you see there's a commercial for a better one. And you're like, oh, now I'm not happy till I have that. Well, you think your car is fine because it gets you from point A to point B and it's fairly comfortable. And then you turn on the TV and you see like the really new car and you say, wow, I guess I was never happy. Or you think you've got a good blender. Right? We live in a world that tells us you shouldn't be happy. There's not contentment. And what happens? You work really hard and then you take all of that time and effort and money that you've now built up for that and you go and buy this thing thinking it's going to make me happy. And what happens? You bring it home and you set it on, on the table, which is the place of honor for all new things. Right? And you sit there and you think, this is going to be great. And you take it out and you enjoy it for a little bit and then you realize that maybe it doesn't bring the same amount of happiness that you thought. And eventually a lot of those things end up in the closet. And then they end up in the garage. And then they end up on eBay. Right? It's the way that it works. Because money is never going to satisfy us. But God can teach us a new way. It's not about doing without. It's about being content. It's about being happy with what God has blessed us with. Because we know that contentment never happens through material things. From Hebrews because we're going to go into that book. I thought I would throw a verse in here. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. What is, what is the key to contentment? God. But it's this. It's the knowledge that God is with us. That God is not just out there demanding things from us. God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is a loving, passionate, kind, good God who can meet all of our needs and is with us. You get this. This world, we don't just live 70, 80 years and then die and then lose everything we've worked for and that's that. We live in the presence of the Almighty God who's given us purpose in life and meaning Right? He's given us the authority and the power to do stuff in this world that have eternal impact. He's given us the privilege of storing for ourselves treasures in heaven where they're never going to go away. And he's given us promise of security here. And he says, I love you. And he wants to meet the deepest desires of our heart. This is powerful stuff. When we get it that God is with us, not just for us, but with us. He's not walking away. There's not going to come a time that you're going to go to the mailbox and you're going to open up a bill and then God's going to be like, whoa, I wasn't prepared to pay that. You're not going to get to the end of your life and have whatever savings that you put together and God's going to be like, well, I guess I really can't take care of you now. God will never leave you nor forsake you. God loves you. But you have to put him at the core of your life. Right? I think that's powerful. Powerful. 
And we also recognize this, that God enables us to be wise stewards. It's not that God just told us, hey, go and, and trust me and, and then I'll provide and then gives us no tools. You know, that'd be like giving your kid your checkbook right, or, or your bank account, your credit card, and saying, okay, take care of the family. No training, no skills. And then they would be freaked out, wouldn't they? I mean, the crushing weight of the responsibility with no training and be like, okay, what am I supposed to do? And at first, it'd be a lot of fun because you just go out and they'd buy a bunch of candy. You'd be like, woo, this is great, a bunch of toys. And then the mortgage would come in. They'd be like, what do we do? Right? We're not prepared. God didn't just give us these lavish gifts in our life and say, okay, good luck. God enables us to be wise stewards. He trains us. Do you know that Jesus talks about money more than he talks about salvation? More than he talks about heaven and hell and all those other things? That's crazy. Why? Because we live in a physical world that seems so darned real. And you need money to be able to live. And so he teaches us how to be wise stewards. And there's a way that we can interact with money that is, that's important, that, that, that is freeing. Here's the difference. In our world, oftentimes, you see people will put money as their God, right? Money tells them what to do. It's like if I, I tried to make this happen, but I didn't have enough time because my computer died. But you have like a dollar bill, and the dollar bill shows up, and it says, Aaron, do this. And you're like, oh, I better do this for the money, right? I better take this, this job, which I hate, and it's going to take me away from my family and my priorities because if I do that, then I will get more of this money, and that's what the money says I must do. So I will do it. Yes, dollar, that's what I will do. Or I better you know, make this my priority first, save, 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 but not give at all. And I see in my heart my passion that God wants me to take care of someone's need, but I say, but the money says, save me, right? So what do I do? I don't become generous and I don't care for other people. And I save it there and I worship the dollar and I save it. And that's where a lot of us are, right? That's, what ha- that's the way the world works. And we put money and we worship that. And then, the, and then, since I'm working for money, then I expect God to work for me. And then I start praying. I say, God, you've got to meet my needs here. I've got bills to pay. I've got things to do. And, and Lord, you've got to provide me more opportunity. You've got to make these dollars stretch. You've got to do all these things. But I'm not spending the money God's God. I'm working for the money. And I want God to work for me. God says, no, there's a different way of doing it. So I'll tell you what. I will take care of all of your needs. Riches of heaven, I will take care of all of your needs. We put God first. And he says, I want your money to work for you. I will give you exactly what you need to minister to the people that you need to minister to. I will give you exactly what you need to take care of what you have today and to give you, but your security is never going to be in your money. It's going to be in me. And so if you start spending what I give you according to what I want you to do, what God wants you to do, there's going to be freedom in it. There's power. There's a different way. It's being a wise steward. And then money doesn't ever tell you what to do. God does. That's a, a different way. It turns it on its head, but it's a, it's a fun way of living. Matthew 6.21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. I think that's a powerful thing. So Jesus teaches us something important about money. It's not bad, and it's not good. It just is. It's a tool. And he teaches us this thing, how to be wise stewards. One of the first ones he talks about the detachment between our hearts, our interests, and where our pocketbooks are. And Jesus says, listen, if you want to put God at the center of your life, then you've got to invest in it. 
Because where your treasure is, that's what you're going to care about. And we all know this is true. You've ever seen somebody buy a new car? Right? And then you go and you want to see that new car. What do they tell you to do? Be careful. And you knock the dirt off your shoes before you sit down inside of it. And you sit down and then they wipe, you know, wherever you did with armor all. So that way it's still nice. Because they put a lot of money into that. And there's a lot of treasure. So they put a lot of their time and effort. Because they recognize this is where my heart is. And if you ding that car, that's bad. Right? Because their, their heart's there. Or if you've seen somebody save and save and save to go on a big vacation or a trip or a mission trip like that, right? And then, like, they are invested in this. They are interested in this. Right? You ask them about it. They'll know all the things about it. I used to be, when I worked for Bank of America, I used to get shares of Bank of America stock. That was great. That was part of my, my thing. And I couldn't care less about shares before that. But once I started getting them, I tell you what, because I started, you know, they take something out of your paycheck, and they, they make you buy some of their shares, which is brilliant, by the way, because you want the bank to do better, because then you do better. All of a sudden, I cared about how the bank was doing, and I was checking every day, how did the bank do? All right, where my treasure was, my heart was also. Jesus teaches us, some, when we're saying another, another principle that Jesus teaches is this, Proverbs 13, 11. It says, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little, little makes it grow. I mean, what a practical concept, written by from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the wisest human that ever lived. Listen, if you want to get rich quick, guess what? It's not going to last. But there is a way, if you want to build wealth in this world, there's a right way of doing it. Do it little by little, and it'll happen. You know, there's thousands of verses in the Bible that talk about how we can be good stewards. And God gives us that heart, right? Because God wants us to serve him fully, to have him at the core of our life. And when he do that, he teaches us how to make money Something that's not our master, but something that we master for his kingdom and his glory. Because when I am under the authority of God, he gets all of me. He gets my time. He gets all of my abilities, which he blessed me with. All of the experiences in my life that he's allowed me to go through, he gets all of those. And he can use them however he wants. He gets my money. right? He gets my relationships. He gets all of me. And when he does that, he teaches me how to be wise with those and gives them purpose and meaning. So at the end of the day, I'm not filled with anxiety. And at the end of my life, I'm not filled with wondering, did did I do anything that mattered? So money has ugly things. There's some bad that we have to be cautious of. But it also can be used for powerful good when we make it submit to God. And if that wasn't enough, there's one more. That God rewards good stewardship. It's it's not like God is up there saying, okay, I'm going to teach you how to be good with it. He goes the step beyond it. And this is what it says. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In fact, I think I even have that. Luke 6.38. Look at this. Look at the nature of our God. Give, he says. Our world doesn't say give. The world says Get. But if God says give, and then what happens? It'll be given to you. Why? Put your, put your money under the, the leadership of God. Right? Let him be our, our leader. Give. Be generous. Good and good deeds. And what's going to happen? It'll be given to you. God's going to take care of you. And how much? Is just as much as I got back? No. A good measure. Press down. Have you ever done um, baking? 
know the worst thing you can do when you bake is do this very thing, shake it and press it down and all that, because then um, you get more density, like more than you're supposed to get, because you actually can double how much flour is in there if you shake it down and press it. A good measure, <laughs> pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. Do you even have to go out and find it? Poured into your lap. You're just sitting there. God's like, here's blessing. And get this, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Oftentimes when folks come to me for marital issues and our personal issues, anxiety, things like this we're talking through, when money is at the core of it, and we recognize this, that they have a wrong relationship with money. Money has become their God, right? It's, they wouldn't say that, but it, their actions of their life, they certainly are revolving around this, and it's why their anxiety and all their problems are there. The first things I say to do is, listen, let's start doing things God's way. One of the first things that God tells us to do is, he says, tithe. He says, do it. Bring an offering. Regularly, proportionally. <laughs> do it faithfully. Why? Because it lets us know where our treasure at our heart is and it lets us know that he is our God. And they say, well, how much should I tithe there? So God doesn't tell us. He says it should be our heart, but I'll tell you this. The measure you use is the measure to be given back to you. It's this principle of sowing and reaping. You ever know what farmers, you know why farmers are still exist after all these years? It's because a seed thrown into the field doesn't just grow one extra grain. It grows hundreds. So whatever you sow, you reap, but you never reap exactly the same amount that you sow, do you? You always reap a whole lot more, which is why when we sow selfishness in our life, we've got a whole bunch of problems. But when we sow according to God, we sow faithfulness. We receive abundance of God's riches and wealth. And it's not just money. It's, it's the fullness of God taking care of us. So what measure will you use? Well, that's really up to you. But the thing is to say, can I really trust God to be my center? And that's really the core of the issue, isn't it? Can we really trust God? Well, we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, how do we know that we can trust God being our center? But you know what? This week, I want to give you an opportunity. Uh, how do we respond to this? Because I know that this is a real issue for a lot of us because <laughs> we live in a material world. How do you respond to, to money? If, if you've got, well, regardless of where we're at, here's some opportunities, some ideas. I'm going to have the worship team to come up too while I'm doing this. So. The first thing I would suggest that you can do is to memorize Matthew 6.33. Why? Well, Matthew 6.33 unlocks the secret. Right? How do we make God our God? Well, by living like it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's right. That's the if then. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then all of these things will be given to you. Right? That's a powerful verse. And it's one of the things that if we really start to gain that, we look at our lives and say, am I really seeking God's kingdom first? Right? That's what's where I'll know that all those things, that God's going to take care of me. And it's not like you first have to seek God's kingdom and then he'll take care of you. No, it's when I finally get the realization that God is taking care of me. So seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Let God take care of you. Maybe that's what you need to do is memorize that verse this week. How about this? Maybe it's to read Matthew 6. We kept coming back to that passage. This is going to be right in line with the whole Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talking about how does his kingdom work? How is God's ways different than the ways of this world? Because I tell you what, the ways of this world, 
is just exhausting, but God's ways are life-giving. And if you want to see in context what God has to say, not just about money, but with about life, how are we living this life? What is the new, better way in the kingdom we can live? Read, read this, Matthew 6. Actually, you want to read Matthew 5 through 7 if you want, because that's the Sermon on the Mount. Powerful. New way of living. Or how about this? Maybe you just need to start by confessing your anxiety to God and just to ask for wisdom. You know? Maybe that's where we begin. When we've recognized that, that we've gone off, you know what sin it means? It means missing the mark. It means that, like there's a target and we've tried our best and we miss it. And when you recognize that you've missed the mark, that you have put money at the center of your life, that you've got that sin, that missing of the mark, God says he doesn't condemn us for that. Isn't that awesome? He says this, he can forgive us, but he can help us. But you have to first recognize that you've missed the mark. And you confess and say, God, I'm anxious about money. And I think that maybe I've made it too important in my life and made you too little important. And so the first thing to do is to go to God and confess and say, all right, God, I know you've got something better for me. Give me the wisdom to do that because it tells us in Scripture that God loves it when we ask for his help and loves it when we ask for wisdom. He doesn't hold back and he will be there. So maybe that's what you need to start with this week. Or maybe this. Maybe it's to attend this Financial Peace University. It starts 1 o'clock today. It's going to be nine weeks. We're going to go through a a course that teaches us how to be wise stewards of God's money in our lives. How to do that. How to make money not our master, but how to master the money that God has, has blessed us with so that we can work for him and work for something that fulfills. You know, if you haven't signed up for that, that's fine. Just show up. Uh, we'll, we'll get materials and things for you. But maybe that's what you need to start with. Whatever your decision is, I ask you this. Why don't you take your connection card out on the back of it is where you have those, those things. Let me know about it because I'm going to pray for you this week as you make those commitments. It's one of the things I love to do for you. And obviously, later, just a couple of minutes, we're going to take our offering. And as you do, I encourage you to put this in that offering as well. Your commitments that you're going to make to Christ. Maybe there's something else that I didn't think of. Write that down. Why? I'll be praying for you uh, this week as God helps you keep that. Maybe there's a different commitment that you need to make something on the other side. Let us know. Or there's a prayer request. Because this God, he doesn't just take care of our financial needs. He takes care of all of our needs. He says to lay our burdens upon him. His, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He says to bring him all of our cares. If you've got cares, worries, concerns... Write it down. Let us pray for you. And let's hand these things over to our Father who is capable and wants to take care of us. All right? So let's do that right now. Fill those out. Also, we, uh, um, we're taking our tithe in just a second. And so let's pray for these and our offerings now. Heavenly Father, when we say that name, Lord, uh, we think of it too. You are heavenly. Sometimes that makes it feel like you, you don't know what's happening on this earth. That the day-to-day grind, the worry that we have, the jobs, the paychecks, the bills, Lord, it, sometimes it can feel like you're distant just because we can't see you with our eyes. But we know a day is coming when we will be able to see you face-to-face. But even now, we know that there is a promise you've given us. Your Holy Spirit is in us. For all those who believe, you have given us, you said you, you've given us your word, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Never, no, never. And so you are with us. So Heavenly Father, thank you for not just being in heaven, but for joining us here now. 
but also we think of Father. Lord, that you, you fulfill that role perfectly, unlike us human dads who mess up. You protect and you provide and you care for and you love and you never let us down. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us as a congregation Lord, to put you at the core of our life. May our, may our, our entire lives revolve around you. Let us trust you to take care of us, Father. And help us, Father, to be good stewards with the things that you've trusted us with. Lord, let us, especially when we deal with money, let it not be our master, but Father, let us, let us learn how to make it your servant for your glory. And Father, for, for our sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.